and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I am joined today by my best friend in the world, <laughs> my favorite person, my wife, Andy Coleman. Hey, babe, what's up? Hey, Philip. Not much, just, you know, recording a podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, for real, things are good. We just dropped off our girl for her first day of first grade. Mm-hmm. That's super exciting. I'm already missing her a little bit, but I also have a lot of naps planned out in my future. So yeah, it's a balance. Today's Tuesday. On Tuesdays, I typically will be dropping her off. So I brought her to school this morning and I thought I'd be excited. I thought, you know, especially on Fridays when we're both home, I'm really eager to just be able to spend more time with you and hang out and talk and connect. And I cried today, just a little bit. I didn't cry till I got back in the car. We've been watching a new movie over and over again on Netflix called Vivo. And, Vivo. And we listened to the soundtrack this morning on the way to school because it's Aww. Lizzie's favorite. And for whatever reason, maybe this was uh, God's work in my life. I don't think so, but maybe. Uh, one of the really sad songs about missing somebody was playing when I got back in the car. And so I drove away from College Gate Elementary School and a single tear rolled down my cheek. <laughs> and I'm I not thought, laughing at you. I'm <laughs> laughing with you. With you. I wasn't laughing, but that's okay. I um, love you. <laughs> I'm joking. I know. I know. No, it was funny. I wanted to tell you because I thought... I never thought I'd be this guy. I was trying to think about why. Why am I sad? I, I mean, I worked all summer. It's not like I saw her all day long. We did spend a week together while you were in Hawaii, and that was fun. But even then, it was a lot of, like, just management like you have yeah. with a small kid. But I think it yeah. was cool to – it was so fun this summer. was different from last summer because she was so new in our home last summer. Mm-hmm. And this year, getting to watch her grow was so fulfilling to me. Because as a parent, any parent knows this, you spend so much of your time trying to convince your kid that you know what you're talking about, and they just, in their soul, they believe that you have no idea at all what you're talking about, that they should be able to eat all the snow cones, and they'll be (laughs) fine. They're not going to get sick. So there's little stuff all along the way where you're coaching and you're you're wanting them to to try to behave differently for their own benefit. Not you know we're grace based parents, so we're not just trying to like fix her problems. We just want her to survive and be successful in the world. And seeing that stuff click where it kind of becomes a part of her and she becomes successful and she goes from being afraid of a thing to loving it. I'm going to miss getting to see a lot of those moments. It'll be her teachers a lot of the time who will be present for those. Yeah, for sure. I I get that. Anyway, well, if you're just tuning into the podcast for the first time today, um, this is episode 14. And last week on episode 13, we had the first part of a three-part series. So today is part two. Last week, I had the chance to speak with Audrey Preston. Audrey is a member of True North Church. She's also a part of our vision implementation team. And Audrey works, her as her career is a personal fitness trainer. And so Audrey came on the podcast to talk to us about how our health can become an idol, potentially, possibly, um, specifically our fitness, how we look, our performance. We discussed some better ways to relate to our bodies than just kind of considering them to be our own trophy cabinet that's either full of trophies we're proud of or empty and therefore we feel sort of embarrassed or uh, ashamed. And then Audrey and I shared a little bit of our own stories of health and fitness, why I exercise, why she does, how we both got into that, different kind of perspectives on ways to do that without necessarily making that into an idol. Today, Andy and I will be talking about the idol of health again, and this is part two of a three-part series. So Andy, if you will, speak to us a little bit about your relationship with your own health And as you do that, talk us through your experience with lupus. That is a word that very possibly many of our listeners have never heard before. You and I certainly were not aware of it until a couple of years ago. Um, Just give us some perspective on on health and and that and how you've had to navigate those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So 
lupus, I, I have a form of lupus called SLE, which is the most generic form um, that most people get diagnosed with. That is short for systemic lupus erythematosus. I had to YouTube that the first time I heard it to figure <laughs> out how to say it. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of where I'm going today. I'll start kind of by just talking about, you know, when I got hit with this with this um, disease. Um, growing up, I always had a struggle with mental health. I've had a struggle with mental health for most of my life, but physically, I was pretty healthy. I mean, for the most part, obviously you get colds, whatever. Um, but I think that I kind of assumed my health would be there, if yeah. that makes sense. Just forever, I kind of assumed like I would just be able to do what I wanted to do and I would be healthy for the most part. Um, and so when we kind of entered into this season of trying to figure out what was going on with me, it was really, it was confusing. I feel like it was really chaotic because I went from my body being a tool to my body attacking itself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it was confusing. It was really confusing. Can I ask how long ago the very first symptoms of lupus emerged and then how long did it take to get a diagnosis? It's, it's muddy. I would say four years ago specifically is when I can remember it really getting bad. Yeah. Um, I have thyroid issues and a lot of those symptoms overlap with mm -hmm. lupus. And so I can kind of look back and go, well, maybe, you know, I kind of can play that game. Maybe those thyroid symptoms were early signs. But um, I would say about four years ago and it took about a year to get diagnosed, I would say. Yeah. Um, we'll get into that process a little more. I want to ask you about that in a few minutes. I remember yeah. how challenging <laughs> Any anybody who's been down this road is rolling their eyes with us right now, <laughs> and how how rough it can be. I, doctors, I think, truly do their best. We're not here to attack pe people in the medical profession, but man, it, it was a it was a challenging time to not be able to get answers. So you said that your health was sort of an assumption that you made. I think most of us are that way. If we grow up in a relatively active lifestyle, you and I both being from Texas, you're sort of expected to pick a sport at some point. Um, yeah. I know you've had different experiences. You've told funny stories about soccer as a kid, but you did volleyball for a little not while, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just don't like beating people. It made me sad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not that way. Uh, I'm not that way. So that's good. We balance each other. Um, but help us understand if you can, were there any signs of your health being an idol, even if it wasn't something that you thought about before lupus arrived? Did you, did you like that about yourself? Did you kind of feel like uh, you know, did you find some comfort in the fact that you were capable, mobile, that you were unlimited to some degree physically? For sure. Absolutely. I think even when my hypothyroid hit, um, the first little nick I had in my, oh, wow, my health might actually be in armor is when my body changed and, and there was no real reason or, um, you know, there was no, like, I couldn't point to something and say, this is what happened. I just gained weight and the medicine I was trying to take mm. couldn't stabilize that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, it was challenging for me and I went, I never thought of myself as someone who was maybe saw my body as an idol or thought that I was, you know, the perfect weight or whatever. I didn't really struggle with that at all. But I think once, once it was taken away, like once that choice mm -hmm. was taken from me really from to, to be able to quote unquote, make my body look a certain way it threw, I mean, again, it threw me for a tailspin. Um, and so I've, I had kind of entered into dealing with that in college and right outside of college, which you and I were very early married. So you probably remember just really struggling with my body image and, mm -hmm. and knowing that I can only do what I can do and that the rest is up to the Lord and, and really embracing who he made me and knowing that that was not, I uh, didn't speak to who I was as a person yeah. um, necessarily, you know, yeah. my body type. Yeah. And I think for any of us, if we picture ourselves in the future, we rarely picture ourselves in the future realistically. We don't right. we don't visualize 
being at our kids' graduation, our child is six and a half. I'm not thinking 12 years in the future and picturing myself 40 pounds heavier, balding, with a bad back. We don't really speak honestly to ourselves about what is a realistic expectation of age. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is... um, shows itself when we begin to lose those things. We feel them slip through our fingers. I will say this as a as a pastor, and I think you would agree with this too, the times in scripture when God goes after our idols, they kind of feel mean to us when we don't when we're not actively aware of our own idolatry. But for both of us as people who have had health be an idol at different points, when you lose it the hard way, it's a lot worse than when God (laughs) lovingly and gently opens your eyes to something and gives you a choice. Because for most of us, a time comes at some point where against our own will, our body will betray us to some degree. This right. is a, a factor and a symptom of the decay and death of things that, that is a, a product, I think, of the fall. So yeah. um, if you can, if we can come now back to what I mentioned earlier, because I think this is really helpful to people. I know I have at least one friend right now who's undergoing the process of diagnosis of sort of an autoimmune issue. Yeah, yeah. His is related more to COVID and that kind of triggering and awakening some things that may have been in his body for a long time. But I think there's probably many of us, the more people I've met who are younger, it seems like autoimmune things are either more rampant or more diagnosed now than they used to be. Will you talk to us about your diagnosis process a little bit? And and please feel free to share the high points of that. And if you need to, again, like we said earlier, we're not picking on any doctors anywhere, but the challenges of having to, to wait and not know. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned my thyroid. For a long time, I just assumed it was that, um, getting worse. And it was a good season, a, a beautiful season, where I feel like the Lord really showed me to love myself um, and who he made me, and I'm thankful for that. But when my body then began to attack itself, like I've talked about, which, you know, my joint pain, just the constant um, fatigue. I was working full-time at this point while you were in seminary. Um, and just, just the, like, it wasn't even the ability to not be able to go run a race. It was more so just not being able to do the day-to-day things yeah. um, and feeling dramatic. You know, I, I, often I would go, am I making this up? Like, am I, mm. am I really this tired or is everyone this tired? And they just live yeah. their life. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's just me. Um, and I know you were with me through some of that. And so that was really challenging because prior to lupus, I was kind of a yes man. I mean, I said yes to everything. I was always going, going really bad at resting. Um, and that was taken away from me pretty quickly. Um, yeah. and I like looking back, I can go, yeah, that was a good thing that, that I had to learn to say no. Um, as we talk about idols and health, but that was really what, what showed me, oh my gosh, like this is actually an idol. Like I, I am so thrown with not being able to do things other people can do that I was questioning everything about my faith, um, my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the process of all of that happening spiritually, I wasn't able to get a diagnosis, you know? And so I remember we got, I mean, I got tested for all kinds of things. Um, and eventually my body really did just start giving out. I mean, there were multiple points. I think you remember where my legs just gave out. Like I, you would fall. It was so embarrassing. (laughs) Um, very embarrassing. And, and I think, you know, the, the ironic thing about going to all these doctors and trying to figure out what this was is my OBGYN was actually who found, yeah, um, the labs, one of my family doctors had noticed a rash on my face and he had talked to me a little bit about it, but then going to my OB, she saw in my labs, my white blood cell count was, was strange after, um, a miscarriage that we had had. And so, yeah, I mean, that was, it took about a year and my OB was the one who actually found it. So it was a, it was an interesting journey to get to the actual diagnosis. Yeah. And I remember that the symptoms didn't all come at one time. 
Right. And part of what I talked to Audrey about last week, and I'm excited to get into today and then again next week, is um, the connection between our bodies and our minds and spirits. Uh, I think that we are at least those three things, if not more. You know, you could get mm-hmm. into our relationships are a large part of that. Our self-perception is a large part of what makes us us. And for you, I remember just from the outside looking in, and I would totally invite you to correct me here if your experience is really different from what I think is, was going on. But I just want to share a little bit of, of what it looked like from for me on the outside, because probably most of who's listening here are going to be people who are going to end up knowing somebody who's dealing with this, but maybe not dealing with it themselves as much. Um, I remember that like specifically, uh, brain fog was something new for us. I I remembered dating you, you're, you were so mentally sharp and you still are now when you, when your health is, uh, available to you, when it's a resource you can tap, when it's not being withheld by your autoimmune system, you are very sharp. You have a great memory. You're very quick on your feet. You're like the primary advisor in my life. When I have to make any kind of decision, I trust you with that stuff and you always handle it really carefully and well. And there would be these moments where you would just forget things or you wouldn't be able to. It wasn't so much big stuff that would drop out of your memory like amnesia. It was more, why did I come in here again? Mm -hmm. What or like in the middle of the night, we'd have a conversation and those kinds of things. It felt like the likelihood of, of that sticking was much lower than it would have normally been. What was so interesting for me is in the midst of this diagnosis process, Uh, And I'm not trying to get you to say anything you don't want to say about this, but I'm just sharing my perspective. I remember you and I both began to dig a little bit into our family of origin early in our marriage. Everybody does this. You learn, you hear stuff come out of your mouth that you thought you'd never say that one of your parents said. And you go, oh, man, I I actually am a product of that home, even Mm -hmm. if I even if I didn't want to be. And I think most of us hopefully have begun to work through that a little bit. But one of the byproducts of that process is great emotional strain. And so there there was a, a challenge to try to figure out. How much of this is Andy's body attacking itself and how much of it is just the normal side effects of a person having to somewhat relive specific challenges, live with moments of memory that maybe have been more under the surface prior to now. And now that you're in a marriage, they're stimulated back up out of you. And I know that some of the brain fog, even some of the fatigue was sometimes that stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you really, from my perspective, you handled it with, with great grace, but you were bombarded physically and spiritually, mentally. You were dealing with all kinds of stuff in that period of time. And the reason I bring that up is it's been so cool. I know we're going to get into what remission is and where you are today, but it's been so interesting to me to see the overlap between the healing that you've found in those other arenas of your life, not that all of it is finished, but the process that you're in and how that has seemed to be connected to your physical health. And I have learned a lot about that. I, I am not a person who... Though I am very physical, I'm not very body aware. My, You know the expression on my face, my tone. I'm often not <laughs> thinking about those things. Those yeah. are raw from my heart out. And I'll say, I'm not mad, but my face is showing you. <laughs> Tell your face. That's right. <laughs> and so uh, I think that it's been cool to learn from you how when I encounter sometimes physical symptoms in my life, stress, strain, things like that. As a man who grew up in a southern state where we just didn't really talk about a lot of that stuff always, I have a great dad. He was the exception to that rule a lot of times. But even even in my house, it wasn't as easy as maybe it could have been. Um, I think that I tend to just dismiss that stuff. That's mm-hmm. all. That all just falls in the category of weakness for me. And it isn't weak to acknowledge your body as it bumps up against different boundaries and barriers. It's stronger. It's a little harder to actually take that seriously and diagnose yourself to some degree, not the not with anything medical, but just to begin to go ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? What is going on? So it's been so cool for me. I hope I'm not being too vague. I don't want to, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but it's really (laughs) blessed my life to be able to watch you learn to comb, uh, through what you're dealing with physically and figure out how much of that is rooted 
in your spirit, how much is, is rooted in your mind, and how much is really just your body somewhat betraying you. So I said a lot there. Let me throw the ball back to you if that's okay. Um, bring us up to date a little bit, if you would. You know, when you and I arrived in Alaska, you one of the risks that we were taking was that your health might not improve potentially right. ever for a long time. And I know it was very, very hard to finally accept that mm-hmm. uh, eventually. But I think about even the first 10 months that we were here, your health was very different from how it is today. Can you talk us through the process of coming out of the most severe season of lupus? Uh, and then if you have time... Um, give us just some perspective on what you're doing now to help manage because the lupus never really totally goes away. I think it would be helpful for people to hear that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's exactly what you said talking about, I love this topic because we are whole beings. We have three separate parts and I feel like Audrey, who was on the podcast last week has helped me a lot as I've, um, started, you know, trying to challenge myself physically now coming out of that hard season, showing me that all of those things work together. And, um, you know, this year, you and I pick words for the year, and I chose health, and I was more so thinking spiritual health, but the Lord, thankfully, um, through lots of prayer for years for us, blessed me with some physical health as well. Um, And so I would say, geez, I want to say maybe a year ago now, which seems crazy, I started to kind of come up out of the constant fatigue, the constant joint pain sickness, you know, and and I had more good days, in a week, you know, three or four versus just one or two. And I know for you and I, there was a lot of false alarms. Like I, I was feeling better. So I would go get my labs done and they'd be like, you're so close, but you're not quite there. Um, and so eventually when I, when I did get there and they started, um, weaning me off of, you know, steroids and that kind of thing, I think I went into it almost, it was so funny how I kind of boomeranged with that idol. I went, okay, now I'm healthy so I can do all the things again. And I'm going to be super healthy and like, I'm going to be able to do any sport I want. And, um, again, it was very humbling. The Lord kind of, kind of show is showing me, I would say still, but showed me this is a process. And, um, I learned so much with lupus that I want to continue to, to live out. Um, but it's, it is, it is challenging to, to be quote unquote in remission or another word is quiescent, which is probably more where I am. Um, and to not be, be fully better, if that makes sense. It does. And I think for anybody who's not familiar with lupus or other autoimmune issues, when we think remission, we're probably thinking in the category of oncology of Mm -hmm. cancer. So are you able to just maybe rapid fire a couple differences between what it means to be in remission with lupus versus what it might mean for a person whose cancer has gone into remission? Yeah, for sure. So remission for lupus, the, the formal term, I guess, is when you are weaned off of your medications and all of your, well, not all of your symptoms. That's, we'll get to that. But your exams, your blood work, they go back to normal. Um, and so quiescent is where you're still on some of your medications, but you are kind of stable and back to normal. So remission is sounds like a really big word. There's not really a good word, you know, for it, I guess, when I asked about why we use that word, because it seems so intense. Um, you know, it's the best way that they can use it because it is gone, but it might come back. So it's not permanent. Um, and there are still symptoms that show up. You know, I still do, especially if I've done too much or, um, you know, I've been around a lot of sick people. My body will warn me um, that I need to slow down, which is a really cool thing that I didn't have before lupus. I'm very in tune, I think, with how I feel physically. Um, Honestly, one of them is a face rash, so you know before I do sometimes (laughs) your face is red. Um, But 
it's so yeah, that's kind of that's what remission is. Yeah. So whereas with a cancer patient, remission would mean uh, basically you need to start doing maintenance labs to check occasionally because the doctors want to get ahead of the curve if there is any evidence of additional cancer growth anywhere in your body, metastasization, anything like that. Uh, with lupus, as I understand it, a significant difference is it's more so just a decrease in the severity, but it's not a true absence of the thing. Like a person who has remission for cancer, it could be a decade, right, where they can more or less just live their life. Maybe they still have burns from radiation. Maybe they still have scars from surgery, but there's not a whole lot they have to really think about and change. They're, they are able to boomerang back into what they used to consider quote-unquote normal. My understanding of what you have to do through quiescence and remission is still a lot of management, a lot of thinking about your body and creating and following boundaries. Um, I know, for instance, a thing that's very frustrating for you that you might not bring up but I want to share is you often have to limit your physical output still, and that's changing. You've, you've advanced quite a bit. You've done some training this year uh, specific to having an autoimmune problem, and it's from my perspective, it's been leaps and bounds, your capabilities and opportunities to move and act and lift and help and especially play with our six-year-old daughter. But there's still an element for the rest of your life probably of having to weigh how much have I done in the last couple of days. I see this crop up especially when family visits, when we go on vacation, when we travel because the strain goes up. And so we'll talk about, this is language that I use, I don't know if it's helpful for you, but I, I think in terms of are you in the green zone, are you yellow, or are we red zoning? I think for me, a person who's not dealing with an autoimmune disease, I can spend a whole day in the red zone if I have to. I'm mm -hmm. going to be tired the next day, I'll be very sore, my body will respond in a way that I will hurt, but I'm probably looking at 24 to 48 hours and I bounce back. Mm -hmm. For you, if you go into the red zone for three or four hours, that can look like... Two days of, yeah. Of really needing to be off your feet fully, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's what's been sort of challenging. People want to be gracious, especially Christians. They want to be supportive, but I think it's hard to, to know what people think when you have to draw a boundary that's so different from what they're used to. And... Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things with autoimmune symptoms that I find challenging, and I know when I speak with other people who have them, mm -hmm. what's so challenging is so many symptoms are unseen. And so it's really, right. you're having to really advocate for yourself verbally. Um, and it can be really embarrassing, you know, and that I know for me, it can be it can be challenging to yeah. say, I got to bow out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I now I can kind of weigh the cost. Is this worth two days of this or or do I need to? Yeah, and, and I think this is a good point to maybe shift gears a little bit because in probably every area of our lives and every part of our being, spiritual maturity looks like learning where to put boundaries in our life. Mm -hmm. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and I think we tend to think of that as Americans in terms of our appetites. You know, Do I have enough self-control to not eat too much cake? Do I have enough self-control to get up and go to work? Do I have enough? But those are really just the basics of surviving life as a grown-up. I think what the scriptures are dealing with is understanding the tendencies, the magnetism that your own spirit has toward things that are not good for you and building boundaries that actually kind of hurt, that don't feel good. I've yeah. seen you do this a lot where you will limit your physical output in advance to be wise so you're not off your feet you know, for multiple days at a time. Uh, and I know that it stings every time you do that. Very rarely are you headed to bed at 7.30 just <laughs> pumped up and celebrating because you're making a responsible decision. It's hard, right? right it doesn't feel yeah. super good. It takes away a little bit of what you maybe would want to see in your life happen just as far as room for entertainment, room for 
kind of taking life as it comes. You've had to be a little more regimented with what you can do in a given day and, and making sure you're not giving out too many yeses so mm-hmm. that then you have to pull those back. I know you've worked very hard on that. You Still have a lot working of integrity. on it, but yeah, yeah, I try. Yeah, you're better at it. So if I can ask this of you, um, and just any direction you want to take this conversation would be great. Thinking about the spiritual element, right? Mm-hmm. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You were before you were diagnosed. You were a believer before you began to deal with the most severe symptoms. You were a believer through the whole diagnosis process. You were a believer every time you took every medication that worked or didn't work. All the labs, all of the change to diet, change to sleep patterns. You moved across the United States in the middle of all of that. You became a parent in the middle of all of that. Help us understand as people who, most of us who are listening, who really love Jesus and want to live in a way that is honoring to him and that communicates how good it is to be near him to the people around us. What role has he played in all of this for you? Not just tearing the idol down. I know he's sustained you, but can you be specific with us? Are there passages, parts of the Bible that have really helped you walk through this? Have there been relationships within the church that have been a support to you? I think it would help us to get sort of your prescription for the spiritual remedy to the strain that comes with autoimmune issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he, I've kind of touched on, I know we don't have a ton of time, but just, just revealing some idols of mine. I felt like once he revealed one big one, it was easy to see some of the other ones <laughs> that stemmed through that. But like the, the idol of health, obviously, cause if it gets taken and all of a sudden my whole world is crumbled, that's an idol, right? Like, um, the idol of people pleasing <laughs> fear of man, um, having to say no is hard for me. Having to cancel plans. Those things would have given me maybe some anxiety at night, you know, um, beforehand. And so, um, I feel like he's revealed a lot of idols. He's torn those down and graciously helped me come out of them. Um, like say, I, th- I think that's a daily battle, um, for a lot of those, but, um, I f- do feel like he's also kind of given me a renewed sense of gratitude for health, um, my health, anyone's health, but just when I wake up and I feel good, I could care less if I wear the size jeans that I want because yeah. I am healthy. I yeah. can play with my kid. Mm-hmm. I can be with you. I mean, they're those things that I would have maybe taken for granted. Um, and I'm sure I'll have to struggle or battle not to do that in the future. But, but just seeing, I've been able to kind of maybe take a step back and see the bigger, like health is something that he gives me. And if he allowed it to be taken for a little while, it was good and right of him to do that. Well, and I have to cut in here and say, we, we work really hard to keep the podcast approved for general audiences, mm-hmm. but you you do look good in the jeans that you wear. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me I said something no, bad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's working for those of us uh, for whom that is our business, uh, which is only me, but it's going fine. Let me tell you. Oh, my Lanta. Um, let, me, let me dig into that a little further. Yeah, okay. I remember um, that part of this, and this is probably a topic for another podcast, but part of what happened in the season of diagnosis was dealing with some of the miscarriage issues. Right. Did you find that there was overlap between what God was doing in your heart regarding your body's ability to produce a child, in that case, and your body's inability to sort of meet your own expectations for day-to-day living? Was there, was there, does that Venn diagram have any overlap? Were there lessons from one that benefited the other? What would you say about that? Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... I don't want to use a Christian, you know, cliche, God gives and takes away. But I do believe that in the loss of my health and the loss of our children, I feel like I continued to come up against this battle of, is he truly enough for me? I mean, can I rest in what he gives me? Can I rest in a God being good and, and really being in love with him when he takes something so dear? 
Um, and that was, those were, there were hard nights of questions. And I feel like one of the biggest things in, in all of those struggles was really learning to be honest in my prayer life. And you asked about Bible, you know, passages or books. Um, I think I told you once I felt guilty because I was spending so much time in Psalms. I was like, I need to read like Leviticus or something and balance it out. But I, the Psalms, just David's honesty in prayer, in his prayer life. I didn't have that. I felt there was still some leftover, maybe guilt for me to come before him and go, why are you doing this to me? Mm. And still land in a place where I know the truth in my head, but I need to be able to be honest about my heart's struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something that I feel like I really, really, that season of life, I really learned how to tell him the truth and to really take that that step. Because for me, I think I wasn't healing because I wasn't talking to him about it. And I, w- I would just say, well, he knows my heart. You know, mm-hmm. he knows what's in there. But there was such a power for me in being able to say to him, I don't know why you're doing this. Why is it me? You know, I love you. I love you and I want kids to love you. I want the world to love you. Why won't you give that to me? I want to be healthy so that I can serve the church. Why won't you do that to me for me? You know, and I, and having to kind of ask those hard questions because he always answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took kind of that fear out of, of it for me. Like I can ask him because there is an answer for it. Um, and he, he can handle it. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question, but I feel like the loss, really just that, that kind of theme of loss and me going, you, this has to be real foot on the ground. Like my faith, my faith in, in the midst of tragedy, Yeah, you know, what does that look like? And is it genuine? And if not, how do I get there? And I, and I feel like that really was a good season of me to learn that God can handle my emotions, mm-hmm. all of them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, who gave them to you? Right. Right. God never says that our emotions are the, a product of sin in our lives yeah. at all. And I think that a lot of church traditions treat them that way. It's an unspoken rule in our midst. We'll, we'll quote the verse about, uh, the heart being wicked, you know, who can who can trust it or right. who can know it, which is true. Yeah, at the center <laughs> of yourself, you are not naturally aligned with the things of God. But that doesn't mean that every expression of your experience is wicked. Yeah, those are not one for one ideas. And the the Bible's concept of the heart is very different from our modern concept of mm-hmm. the heart. The Bible, anyway. Yeah, I think I always yeah. thought it was funny that you would apologize about being in the Psalms too much because, like Tim Keller. <laughs> who, who thinks Tim Keller's not a good pastor? Probably nobody. He right. reads the Psalms twice a month. I That's know. What he well, studies, it's, so. it was so good. I think Romans too. I, I know I, I quoted Romans a lot. The Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And and the that creation nineteen the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I thought, I mean, anytime I read that, I go, the glory that is going to be revealed to me like all of this little stuff I'm going through, even though it felt big at the time, like there is purpose, you know, this isn't the end for me, which sometimes it felt like it was. Um, and God is still good and he still sees and he still knows me and loves me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying though, you are on the other side of a lot of this and a lot of what you've learned, you can say, I learned it past tense. I mean, you're still experiencing these things. It can be challenging, but I think that the truths have, taken root in you in a way that's really good and helpful but that's a long road long and (laughs) and we would be remiss as leaders in the lives of people to act like there is a um sort of a rapid fire or fast track process of learning these lessons i know you you alluded earlier you said that there were some challenging nights and I know you are a person who wants to live genuinely. So you won't mind me saying this. Some of those nights all happened in a row and were a month or two months long. Yeah. Right. I mean, there were moments where 
you and I, I'm working at a church. We've moved our family to a place. We bought a house with bedrooms. We're not hoping to keep them empty. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we walk through our home. It's a constant reminder for you especially of loss, different places you've sat in different rooms of the house where you've had to deal with the realization that once again a pregnancy has failed or dreams you had about being able to paint or, or decorate or remodel that your body won't allow you to live up to. That's different from the momentary grief or suffering of a tragedy, I think. Right. You know, uh, to lose a person you love can be life-changing, and it can have ripples for the rest of your days. But uniquely, the losing of your own life, the experience of a kind of death that is so intimate that it's happening within your own body, what a betrayal that mm -hmm. a part of you will not do what you want it to do. Um, yeah. That, to me, was... There's probably people, people kind of throw this word around sometimes that would use the word trauma. I don't think we have to use that word. But it was so deeply life-altering, which yeah. I think is what we mean when we say trauma, right? That it caused a new fork in the road that you did not want, and it pushed you down a way that you maybe weren't prepared to go. And so for those who are listening, regardless of what it is that you're dealing with, you know, Andy's story in general, broad strokes, is a story of losing a, a thing that, that you felt like everybody got to have. The, yeah. the, the sudden and immediate loss of health, the sudden and immediate loss of life, um, and the way that we navigate that, I think, is we spend less time worrying about how well we are navigating it, and we just paddle. Right. And some days we paddle weak, and exactly. some days we paddle strong. I think it's a battle every day, mm -hmm. you know? And even as I'm talking about what I'm learning, you know, I still feel like every day I have to come face-to-face -face with these idols. Um, and I, I mean, you, you mentioned it a little bit, Philip, but I do want to ask quickly. I know we don't have a ton of time, but what was the experience like for you? Because I know for a spouse, when, when your spouse gets hit with an autoimmune disease, so many of the symptoms are unseen. That can be just as life-altering and world-shaking as, yeah. you know, the person who gets diagnosed. Yeah, so... Um in order to be honest about this, it's important for the listener to know how how deep and strong our trust is for each other. Andy and I have a policy, um, and this is good for you as a broader church to know, uh, that we don't hide from anybody. Uh, we don't keep secrets. Yeah. I do not believe secrets help anybody. I'm not, not going to get on my secret soapbox here, but I don't think to be <laughs> a secret keeper is a Christ-like thing. I right. don't think holding information in privacy really benefits very many people at all. Certainly, sometimes things are sensitive and need to be... Uh, taking care of gently and carefully, but the kinds of secrets that bore their way into your life across years and then decades, I don't think benefit anybody. So to that end, Andy and I tell each other everything. We tell each other when yep. we're very happy and excited. We share with each other when we're deeply disappointed and hurt. And this, none of what I'm about to say is news to Andy, and I'm not eager to relive these experiences detail-wise, but I do appreciate you asking because it was a challenging time for me. Um, right out of the gate, I was confused. Mm -hmm. I was confused because I grew up in my home. One of my parents struggled mightily with mental health, and I was used to a person being incapacitated against their own will by their own experience, but I'd never seen it happen physically. And it did feel that it was so random. It felt that it would happen at the most inconvenient times. We would make plans. The first job that I had full-time was so physical-oriented. It was 80% of the job was just where you were and what yeah. you could do with people. And there were a few other barriers to entry for you that were not within my control. People who were threatened by you because you have a, a really great personality and they <laughs> didn't so much. But just there were some other challenges. But one of the layers that was really hard was that was the beginning of you starting to limit yourself a little bit. You know, you'd worked full time while we were there. As soon as we moved to Kentucky, 
like you said, that's really when things began to pick up the pace rapidly. And I think that the stress that was on your shoulders, I lived with a lot of guilt about. I did not like that I was in school. I did not like that I was unable to bear the burden of the finances of our family. I did not like that our schedules were basically opposite of each other. I did not like all the concessions that we had to make in order to make our schedules work. I just felt that I had I had asked you if you would join me in a life that was supposed to be full and filling and engaging and and considerate of both of our wants and needs. And so much of the chapter of life that was seminary for us was you putting almost everything on the back burner for my sake. And I did not like that. It did not feel good to me. There was certainly a part of me that celebrated when God brought us into full-time ministry again, and I was able to put that on the back burner. In the time that we lived in rural Kentucky, which I think was probably when your lupus was the most severe on into us moving here, um, that was really hard for a number of different reasons as well. I, I hated that I couldn't really help you. I would try to do everything externally to you that I could to be of assistance, to pick you up food if you needed it, to clean stuff if you were vomiting, to to help you you know, get electrolytes back in your body, medication in the house. But it just, to be frank, it sucked. It was terrible to not be able to really help. I'm a fixer. Yeah. I'm a doer. Yeah. And I could take action up to a certain point. And then frankly, I would just sort of distract myself I would go away from you. I would be in another part of the house to just try to maybe think about something else because it would drive me crazy. I hated it. It hurt so bad. And then coming to Alaska, we were hopeful. We thought that it was possible that maybe a change in scenery would help. Uh, you, at the very least, were just willing to follow God's beckoning to us <laughs> in that stage of life. But man, even to think about the first apartment that we lived in and how challenging it was to you to be there and trying to be working some and the church was so brand new to us. And I know that you had guilt about not being so available, about not yeah, not being sure. immediately the quote unquote pastor's wife as a formal position in the church, which is never a thing you or I wanted. Yeah. But it was certainly an expectation that was waiting on us here. And that's not a discredit to the pastor search committee. They went out of their way to make sure that that wasn't fair. Yeah. Uh, but it still happened to a certain degree. And and so, yeah, I mean, it was it's always tough when you're sick and you can't be at church. It's always tough when you're sick and you have to be home. And and so much of what I do, you spend time on the on the front end planning, talking to me, working through possibilities, praying for me because I'm nervous about how certain news is going to land or how people will react. And then a lot of time, you know, you just weren't able to be there for yeah. that. I mean, even through our interview process, anybody who remembers the two live question and answer sessions that we did, it was Andy's lupus that kept her back at the apartment we were staying at, unable to participate in that. That's oh, a thing yeah. we'll never get back again. I believe that God will not penalize us because that didn't happen. I don't live with angst every day of my life, but that was a very negative experience mm -hmm. because I, I didn't ever want to have to prioritize God's family over my family. Yeah. And you would be clear. You would help me. You've gotten better and better at asking for help and, and telling me where your boundaries are because I can help too much. Uh, <laughs> that's usually where I start is I'm a little too intense and engaged. Um, but you've been gentle and careful with me. And so I, as many lessons as you have learned, I have learned too. And I'm not at all here to try to take the spotlight. I think it's great to hear your story and our church deserves to get to know you better in this way. But yeah, I mean, I think for every valley you were in, I may not have experienced it the same way that you did, but it was heavy. And it was dark. Yeah. And well, it was it's good to talk about for the yeah. spouse to have a place to go to, you know, and just be honest about that experience. I think that's really important, um, you know, to be able to to really heal. and. Yeah. And just a, a drop of marriage, marriage advice here uh, in the middle of all of this. Just tell your spouse the truth. Just tell them. If just you're really mad, it. just tell them. Just do don't, it. Don't protect them from you or you're not your real self. Yeah. And they can't really know you and you can't really have a marriage. Right. 
I know that's heavy and maybe uh, we should save that for another time. So <laughs> uh, as we do come to the finish line, Andy, I want to see if there's just one final takeaway or closing thought that you have, a theme, uh, a thing that you want to speak to our listeners, and then I'll do the same and we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole the whole vein of what we're talking about in these three podcast episodes that are all related um, is that you are a whole being with different parts that need to be cared for. And I think that if, if you are someone who is struggling with your health physically, whether it's autoimmune or not, um, I, I don't want you to feel like we're just this, you know, I'm on the other end of it. So it's just this beautiful sugar coated. Everything is great thing. Jesus, Jesus, like he certainly met me in those moments and he carried me through and he did sustain me. That is true. Um, but it was not easy. And so I think one of the easiest things that I felt like I could do was isolate myself um, because it was embarrassing to have to have those boundaries and and, and try, try to explain these unseen things. Um, and so I just encourage anyone who's struggling with that spouse, you know, parent, kid, I mean, anyone who's struggling with their health to be honest where with where you are, not only with the Lord, like, like I touched on, but with your community. Um, you know, I don't, typically live with regrets, but if I could go back, um, and tell someone who maybe is where I was, I would say just live, live openly and genuinely be honest about where you are with your life group, with your community, um, and allow Jesus to use that. I mean, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad and it's okay to be bitter. Just bring it to him. And I think he'll heal that and he'll, he'll bring you out of it. So yeah, absolutely right. And for me, um, I think that the, uh, the warning and also invitation that I would give to the listener is when in your life Jesus makes it clear to you that you have an idol, he's giving you an opportunity to have some agency in losing that idol. You will lose it no matter what. Yep. Your child will move out of your house. Your spouse will fail you miserably eventually. Your body will change and betray you. You will run out of money. I mean, whatever it is that you're worshiping, it's going to go away. It's temporary. It's physical. It's bound to God's order. So when God tells you your relationship with this is inappropriate and I want to help you into something better, if you can take that chance, it is a lot more comfortable and pleasant to go with God than against him every single time. So I don't say that to be heavy-handed at all. Um, I just want to remind you that uh, as God invites change, he does it for our good, and he's right. He's good at it. So uh, thanks, Andy, for joining me today. Next time on the podcast, we will do part three of this three-part series. Um, I'll be interviewing Asia Johannes, uh, dealing with the topic of mental health as an idol. As always, church, you can submit any questions, comments, or concerns that you have to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll use the subject line podcast questions, that will help us get to your questions a little bit faster. And I think three or four episodes from today, I'm going to be doing a second Q&A episode. So if you've been sitting on any questions about my life, about ministry in general, the city of Anchorage, our culture, the Bible, parenting, marriage, Uh, I won't say that I'm the expert on any of those things, but I can try to give you my perspective if you want to ask. So drop us a line at the info email address, and uh, you can be listening for that episode to drop soon. Finally, church, we love you. That's why we do this podcast. We are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.